Chapter Twenty Four of Tom Playfair or Making a Start by Francis J. Thin S. J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twenty Four Trouble Ahead. Tom's improvement was not limited to baseball. In class and out, he advanced steadily. Nothing, perhaps, had so helped him as his choice of friends. From among all the boys of the small yard, he had selected as his chums Harry Quip, Willie Ruthers, Joe White, and James Aldine. Harry Quip, mischief-loving though he was, had a great amount of practical common-sense piety. No one enjoyed a joke or a laugh more heartily than he, but he knew where to draw the line. He was easy of disposition. In fact, a superficial knowledge of him might bring one to think he was easily led. In regard to indifferent matters, this was quite true. Harry would rather yield than quarrel. But when it came to a choice between right and wrong, he was firm as a rock. One instance will give an idea of Harry's method on such occasions. During the preceding vacation, he was thrown in with the boys of his neighborhood. Shortly after his return from St. Mars, he was conversing with some of them, when one began narrating what he considered a very good story indeed. Harry saw the drift of it. I say, boys, he interrupted, the air is getting too strong for me around here. I guess I'll take a walk. To his gratification, three of the little lads mustered up courage to leave with him. The joke was left unfinished, and whenever Harry Quip joined the boys, the conversation was entirely proper. Indeed, before vacation had ended, the ethical standard of his companions had risen by many degrees. Willie Ruthers and Joe White were bright, pleasant little lads, reflecting the virtues of their heroes, Harry and Tom. James Aldine was something more than an ordinarily pious boy. The younger students at St. Mars College actually revered him, and called him the saint. He was remarkable for gentleness, but his gentleness was made of stronger stuff than the term usually implies. His meek little ways wrought wonders upon Tom and Harry. They seemed unconsciously to catch his gentleness, and soon joined with him in little devotions that touched and refined their lives into spiritual beauty. Tom was often overawed by Jimmy's piety. "'Say, Harry,' he remarked one day, "'that Jimmy Aldine's got more praying and piety in his little fingers than you and I have in our prayer books and whole bodies put together. Did you notice him last Sunday after Holy Communion? His face was as bright as—as as anything, and I watched him till he looked like a saint in a picture.' and I expected every minute that a pretty gold crown would shine around his head, and a pair of spangled wings would crap from his shoulders, and he'd go off sailing up to heaven, leaving you and me to fight it out, and even then find it hard to behave half decently. Evidently Tom had an imagination. Had he been older, he would have put his idea into verse and published it. One of the first friendly secrets that Tom imparted to James Aldine was the story of his deferred First Communion. James took as much interest in Tom's preparation as Tom himself, and on recreation days when they walked out together over the lonely prairies, he would speak so lovingly of our Saviour in the Blessed Sacrament that his companion, like his disciples on the road to Emmaus, felt his heart burning within him. On November the 8th two things came to pass, both bearing closely upon their fates and fortunes of our five little lads. On that morning a cheering fire lighted up the windows of Mr. John Aldine's home on the outskirts of the village of Merlin. Within, a pleasant-featured woman was busily setting the tea-table. 
Beside the fire, a child, who had just emerged from babyhood, was critically and dispassionately examining into the merits of a picture book. A brisk step was heard without. The door opened, and a man entered. Papa, papa, clapping his little hands with glee and running towards the newcomer. Well, little Towzle, said Mr. Aldine, raising the child in his arms and kissing him. And how are you, Kate? He continued affectionately, greeting his wife. We must be happy tonight. I have succeeded well today in my law matters, and best of all, I have a letter from James. Hurrah! cried Towzle, dancing upon his papa's legs. To the no small inconvenience of that gentleman, he was trying to divest himself of his great coat. Letter from Dimmy. How's brother Dimmy? Tell Towzle all about it, papa. Mrs. Aldine, though not so demonstrative as Towzle, was no less anxious to hear the contents of the letter. Sit down, my dear, by the fire, she said, and when you feel perfectly cozy, let us all together hear what our darling has written. Mr. Aldine, be it observed, never opened the letters from his boy, but with his wife beside him. It was a delicate attention, and a very small thing, it may be. But take the small things out of life, and we have little left but murders and bank robberies. Well, here goes, said Mr. Aldine, as he opened the envelope and spread out the letter. St. Mars College, November 4th. Mr. and Mrs. John Aldine. My dear parents, A knock at the door, so sharp, so vicious, as to cause Mrs. Aldine to start violently, and Towzle to jump with great alacrity from his father's knee, here interrupted the reading. Come in, said Mr. Aldine. Towzle took refuge behind his mother's skirts, as a short, dark, ill-featured man with bristling black whiskers entered the room. For a moment Mr. Aldine gazed at the stranger in some perplexity. "'It's Mr. Hartnett, who has called several times in your absence to inquire for James,' whispered Mrs. Aldine. "'Oh, pardon me, Mr. Hartnett,' cried Mr. Aldine, advancing and shaking his visitor's hand. "'I ought to know your face by this time. Sit down.' "'Well,' Mr. Hartnett made answer as he seated himself, "'I can't blame you for not knowing me, for although I have called on you several times, I have always missed you.' I thank you, sir, for your goodness, cried Mr. Aldine, and especially for the interest which I understand you take in my boy. Won't you take tea with us? asked the wife. Thanks, with pleasure. It's chilly outside, and a cup of tea isn't such a bad thing in this weather. By the way, have you heard from the boy lately? You can't imagine what an interest I take in him. I met him once or twice, and am convinced that he'll one day make his mark. We have just received a letter from him, said Mr. Aldine, highly pleased, as what father would not be, at these praises of his boy. And perhaps, if I read a little of it to you, you may not take it amiss. My dear sir, said Hartnett, with much warmth, you are too good. I shall be delighted. Towzle, you little rug, he said to the child, come here and look at my pretty watch. But Towzle, who had thus far persistently clung to his mother's skirts, was not to be tempted from behind his entrenchments. With great round eyes staring severely at Mr. Hartnett, he neither spoke nor moved. It is said that little children have an instinctive knowledge of good and bad people. Whether this be true or not, it is certain that Towzle had decided views relative to Mr. Hartnett, and by no means favorable to that person. Here is the way the letter runs, said Mr. Aldine. My dear parents, I am so glad to learn that you are well, and that dear little Towzle is happy. Hurrah! cried Towzle in parentheses. I am very happy here, and like the boys very much. 
most of them are very good and kind and only a few are mean i like my prefects very much my professor is just splendid i think he can teach more in a week than most other teachers in a year and now my dear parents i want to tell you something i have long kept secret hello what is this said mr aldine knitting his brows and reading what followed to himself he did not notice that mr hartnett's face changed color and that his right hand was quickly thrust into a side pocket and remained there for a moment there was silence an awful silence had the little family but known the thoughts of their visitor why this is strange said mr aldine at length he says that he is the only witness of a crime which he had sworn never to confess what crime asked hartnett he doesn't say but promises to tell me about it when i come to see him christmas mr hartnett's hand returned from his pocket and with a forced laugh he said oh indeed perhaps it'll turn out to be a regular romance at the harsh merriment of the visitor mr aldine could not refrain from shuddering Tazel hid himself entirely from view well it's drawing on late resumed hartnett hastily drinking his tea and i'd better be going awkwardly enough he took his departure dear john said mrs aldine as the door closed upon him i don't trust that man somehow i fear he means us no good you think so said mr aldine in surprise i do indeed he's a bad bad man said tousle stamping his foot well i'll keep my eyes open that's all i can do said the strong nerved talisman their suspicions would have been confirmed had they seen hartnett standing a few yards from their door his clenched hands raised an imprecation upon their happy home. About midnight, Hartnett issued from his lonely house, valise in hand, and set off rapidly down the public road. He was never again seen in Merlin. At St. Mars on this same day, Tom was made the happiest boy at college, and that is saying a good deal, by receiving from home a box containing, among other things, a rubber coat, a pair of Ice King club skates, and a fine breech-loading shotgun for hunting purposes luckily it was recreation day and tom having obtained permission of the prefect of discipline joined the customary hunting party of which james aldine was a member under his friend's direction tom learned very fast his eyes were good his nerves were strong to his great joy he brought down a duck on his fourth shot tramping through the woods and over the prairies stealing cautiously up to game under cover of tree and bush and creeping along the margin of lake and river the day passed quickly indeed and tom with three ducks in his hunting pouch returned to college jubilant before retiring he had arranged with harry willie james and joe to go on an all-day hunt that day a week End of chapter twenty four recording by maria therese